0: Good morning. It's the powerful name of Jesus that inspires us to worship Him, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit and what that involves. Last week, we started an eight-week series on worship where we give eight straight sermons on it and also have a few of our small groups also study worship in their homes at the church and so on. It's, a, it's been a great time so far. Not at, I don't know about you, but last week... As we worship the Lord um, and began to learn about worship, which is our response to God, by the way, our reverent and grateful response, our response of awe and praise to God, as we began that last week, and Matt did a great job starting us off, I sense the presence of God in here greater than I have in my four and a half years. Now, it's not that I haven't sensed it before in here. It's not like the presence of God has been weak, but somehow last Sunday, to me anyway, and some other people said that too, it just seems like we sense the power of God in a greater way, and we praise Him for that. And, you know, that's part of, that's part of revival, too. I'm praying that uh, last week was the start of a mini revival in our church. Uh, check that. A big revival. Let's, let's go for the most. And I've heard before what can happen when there's a revival in a church. I had a good friend who years ago went to Castle Hills Baptist Church in San Antonio and this was a big church, 5,000 I'd say at least. And my friend said, one, su- one Sunday, all of a sudden, God showed up in an extra powerful way. His presence was so strong at that church that people would, the second they stepped on campus, not just the auditorium, the second they stepped on campus, the power of God, the presence of God was felt so strongly that people just wanted to worship Him. Hundreds were saved in a few week time. Now, you know, God does different things, shows himself in different ways. I know he blesses us and is pleased with us, but uh, wouldn't it be neat if uh, last week was the start of a mini revival or whatever God wants to do. First, let's make sure that we're worshiping him in our own hearts with all of our heart. And we'll go from there. Well, this morning, this is the question I want to answer about worship. What inspires us to worship God and then see him transform our character? What is it that motivates us to praise God with all of our heart and then see him change our lives? That's really the question we're getting at. And I'm excited to get into scripture with you and and really see what that's about. And what we're going to first tackle then is that last thing about what is... What does it mean that God transforms our character? And I want us to see that as we worship him with all of our heart, he does transform our character and change us. We're also going to see, though, the negative of it in that if we don't worship God in the way he deserves, it tears down our character. It diminishes it. And I think we need to see the negative at times about things, like Scripture does, because as we look at the negative in our life and what's going on, we can take that to God to be changed, forgiven and changed, and then it ends up for the good. The result is good. We can, As we deal with the negative, then we can praise Jesus and enjoy Him more with all of our hearts. So sometimes it's necessary to look at the negative for a little bit. So that's what I want to do is start with the negative and just look at what... What's the bad consequences? There are several, but we'll look at especially one bad consequence of worshiping other things instead of Jesus. And that can happen to us Christians as well. At the core, when we become Christian, we're good at the core. We want to worship Jesus, but we at times start to worship other things. We start to enjoy other things in place of Jesus, and then it makes it harder for us to enjoy Him. First Peter 2.11 is a verse that talks about a sin and a hindrance to worshiping Jesus and enjoying Him. First Peter 2.11 says this, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Sinful desires here refers to desiring things that we seek to worship and praise and get joy from instead of Jesus. Jesus sinful desires, those could also be called false gods and idols. And really what we're doing, we're trusting in that thing, that false god, to give us joy instead of trusting Jesus. At the heart of a false god is a search for joy. Psalm 31, 6 and 7, add to that Ezekiel 16, 37. The core of a false god in our life is a search for joy instead of trying to get it from Jesus. It's like... And, and here's Jesus, by the way. John 15, 11, promises to give us complete joy. So why do we drift toward idols and false gods for joy at times? It's like we're saying to Jesus Christ, the king of all, Jesus, you're not enough. Yeah, you promised me full joy, complete joy, but you know what? You're not enough, and sometimes I have to wait on joy from you for too long. So I'm just going to work things out on my own and seek some joy from these other things instead. That's idolatry. That's false worship. That's sinful desires where we're desiring to get from those sinful things joy instead of from Jesus. And it could be, you know, it could be anything. It, and by the way, when, when we're seeking, uh, looking for those other things for joy instead of Jesus, like Jesus is offering a steak and instead we're stuffing ourselves with pretzels. Or something, You know, think of, think of a food you kind of like, but isn't that great? That's what we're doing. Yeah, Jesus, you offer me complete joy, that steak, but no, I'm just going to stuff myself with pretzels instead. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. Sin makes no sense. False worship makes no sense in light of what he wants to offer us. And these things that we look to for joy instead of Jesus in themselves, they're often good things, but we've just tried to get joy from them in place of Christ. It could be things like sports or movies or TV, uh, our phones, the internet, shopping, alcohol, food, and so on. Food's been an idol for me at times. Um, It's a miracle I don't weigh 400 pounds. Um, There's definitely times where I depend on it too much for comfort if I'm feeling down or whatever, extra joy. And uh, it, it gets crazy too. I often pick just the totally wrong things to eat. Um, one time, years ago, I went on a um, Frito and banana diet because those, those are my two favorite foods, bananas and Fritos. So in the morning, I'd have one banana. I wouldn't eat all day. At night, as I'm watching TV, I'd have some Fritos. And the problem was I lost 10 pounds on that diet. See, normally, see, this is a bad example I've just given you because normally false gods—it's—it's it's bad stuff, and it still was bad that I did that. My health wasn't good, and uh, when I ate just fritos and bananas, and um, I also was reminded recently that my uh, using food as a false god isn't good because um, the other day in the foyer, a guy who's a good friend of mine uh, came up to me and said, um, "Scott, you look like you've gained some weight." And I said, I said, yeah, you know, I probably gained about eight pounds with my knee replacement. And I was gone on vacation to Okinawa. And yeah, I probably gained about eight pounds. And he said to me next, this is a good friend, right? You look like you've gained more than eight pounds. <laughs> I mean, all of us guys know that's what good friends do to each other. You tease each other, right? And so God has used that, I want to announce, to really convict me to lay aside that false God Um, And it just shows, yes, there are bad consequences to having false gods, whether it's food or anything else. Now, at this point, some of you might want to ask me this question. Scott, how do I know if something has become an idol in my life? I mean, if you say idols can even be good things that we take too far, wow, how do we know where that line is? Two things that I think can be helpful to us. One thing is, something has become an idol if we spend too much time focusing on it, and that ends up taking time away from other things that Jesus wants us to do, okay? We're focusing so much, it's taking away time. Example, last church I was at in um, San Antonio area, Bernie, Texas, sports was so big down there. A lot of parents had their kids in select sports, And a lot of these select sports tournaments were on the weekend, even on Sunday mornings. So these parents would often be gone on Sunday mornings, taking their kids to select sports, and they wouldn't make it to church for several weeks at a time. That's a false god. Their children's sports were their false god. They were focusing more on that, and that was taking time away from Jesus. There's a second thing, or a criteria we can use to, to know that something might be a false god in our life. How much do we love it? How much does our heart love it? Um, Matthew 6:24 says, "We cannot serve two masters. We'll love one and hate the other." If we let other things capture our heart instead of Jesus, in terms of worshiping him, we'll start to love that other thing more than Jesus. We'll get annoyed when the things of Jesus get in the way of that false god. Like you young people who stare at your phones a lot. I hope that's nobody in here, but anybody who stares at their phone a lot. Let's say you're a young person. If it's staring at that phone, you love it so much that you don't enjoy and love talking with your family. If your mom and dad says, hey, it's time now to come to supper and, or let's have a family discussion. If you're so hooked on that phone that you are annoyed When your parents ask you to break away from it, you're loving that phone more than Jesus. You're worshiping that phone more than Jesus. And it's time for it to stop. That doesn't please him. When you obey Jesus in that way by faith, break away from that phone, talk to your parents or whatever, Jesus will give you a greater joy in the end than anything else can, including that phone. So those are a couple ways that we can tell if something's become too much of an idol. Uh, Next question, how do we get rid of an idol? 1 Peter 2.11 says we need to abstain or reject or get rid of sinful desires. In other words, idols, things that we're tempted to worship and get joy from in place of Jesus. So how do we get rid of that? In a little bit, I'm going to announce what I think is the biggest way we can get rid of that idol. But in the meantime, here's some other things that we can do. We can ask Jesus to give us a new love for him. If part of that false God that we want to worship, get joy from, is loving it, let's let's go to Jesus. Jesus, I confess, I've been loving this phone. I've been loving movies. I've been loving food more than you. I confess it, but I thank you that as, and help me grieve over it, but I thank you as I confess this, you promise to forgive me. Help me have a fresh start. And I praise you for that. Amen. Second thing we can do to get rid of a false idol is to ask God to help us hate it. Romans 12, 9 talks about hating sin. If we're tempted with pornography or anything else, it's a good prayer to say, Lord, help me hate that thing. Help me see what it's doing to me. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit too. Third thing we can do to get rid of an idol is join a group. There are other people that uh, struggle with your same false god. My same false gods. So sometimes either at this church or another place we can find a group. Celebrate Recovery is a program a lot of churches have used. Maybe we can start that sometime for people who are struggling with false gods. Things they're trying to get more joy from than Jesus. Um, I have found some great material uh, that I'd love to see a purity group started here at this church. If some of you men would like to get in a group, you're struggling with pornography or whatever, I found a great book on it. There's even a ladies' version which is interesting, and they're great. Let me know if you're interested in that. And then finally, to get rid of an idol, just praise God for his forgiveness. Because what often happens, people um, start worshiping a false god, and they know they shouldn't, so they feel guilty, but instead of going to God for forgiveness and trusting him to give them a fresh start, they stay guilty, and then guess what? They start to partake even more in that false god in order to relieve their guilt. And it becomes a cycle that's very hard to get out of. So those are some ways to get rid of an idol. So I mentioned a second ago that one of the things we do need to do is ask God to help us hate that false god or that idol. So what is it that a false god does something negative in our life, a negative consequence um, that we need to be careful of? And can give us good reason to hate it and reject it. Well, listen carefully now. In this, uh, pretend your teen has just come in past curfew, and they're about to try to explain to you where they were. Okay, I want you to listen that carefully. So, what does a false god do in our lives? According to one Peter two eleven, it wages war against our soul. It wages war against our soul. That's as serious as it sounds. What it means is, is that when we dabble with false gods, try to find more joy in wrong things instead of Jesus, it attacks our soul. It distracts us from Jesus, and it diminishes our soul. Now, what's our soul? Our soul, according to Scripture, 1 Peter 1.22, Luke 1.46 and 47, our soul is that part of us that we use to worship and love Jesus and love others. It's a critical part of our soul. So when we dabble in false gods, then we, our soul, that part of us that can love others or wants to love others, is attacked and diminished. Our ability to love God others is decreased. So for these guys that I've heard say, oh yeah, I look at pornography once in a while, but it, it really doesn't hurt me. No, you're wrong. It diminishes our soul. It attacks our soul. And so let's realize that and let's let, that use, let's let that cause us to want to set that aside instead of enjoy Jesus with all of our heart, instead of that wrong substitute. Psalm 115, by the way, also is sobering. It says that whatever we worship, our idols will become like our idols. Our idols are what? Useless. They don't help us love God. We'll become like our idols. If we worship them, very sobering, very serious. But Jesus can help us deal with it. Um, in a little bit, we're going to see the wonderful answer as to how He helps us deal with that. I also want to make sure that uh, we make it clear that when we um, worship wrong things, that it it does tear down our character, and then worshiping the right things builds up our character transforms us when we worship Jesus Luke 5 1 through 11 uh, we won't get into it right now but the summary is that Peter in two eleven had received Jesus as Savior and Lord then unfortunately he went back to his fishing business and in some sense began to worship his fishing business I believe but Jesus went after him see when we try to worship things other than Jesus he's relentless in his love he'll come after us out of love he came after Peter had Peter take him out in a boat, and then he ends up, as he asks Peter let down the nets, uh, even though he hadn't caught fish all night. And what did Jesus do, causes a giant catch of fish uh, to appear in Peter's nets. What does Peter then do? He falls on his knees. That's a sign of worship. Falls on his knees and confesses his sin to God. And what's the result of worshiping Jesus in that way with his whole heart? Luke 5.11 says he leaves everything and follows Jesus. That's transformation. Transformation is uh, growing in our commitment to love and follow Jesus above all else. So I've seen this in this church. I've seen those of you who worship Jesus with all your heart. You are so committed to following him and uh, seeing him help you grow in your love for him. It's been a great thing to see. Let me give you an example. There's someone here who came to Christ a few years ago, not that long ago actually, and this person has grown in their ability to worship Jesus with all their heart, live for him, and it has really transformed their character. But a test came up in their life recently, a test of whether their character was being transformed. They have a sister that they haven't talked to in years, and this sister hates them. And when this person tried to contact this sister, the sister spoke cruel words, hateful words. But that didn't deter this person, our congregation, because this person is following Jesus, worshiping Jesus, following him. She continues to pray for the sister and will not give up seeking to contact her. So I've seen it in all of you. Worshiping Jesus with all of our heart instead of false substitutes leads to transformation of character. So it's a beautiful thing. But we have a problem. We have a real challenge in our life. We have so many things in this world, as I said, that pull at us to worship them instead of Jesus Christ. It's so easy to fall into worshiping wrong things because we can see those things every day. In the media, we see things that promise us joy and pull at us. And it's real easy to let down our guard, not worship Jesus, but let down our guard and get hooked. And then we have a difficult time breaking away from those things and our soul and our ability to love get diminished. So what can rescue us from those false gods? What can deliver us from the danger that we're all in every day? What is beautiful enough to capture our focus instead of those other things that look so good at times? What is powerful enough to set us free from the power of those things that pull at us? What can inspire us to enjoy Jesus more than anything else? Well, praise the Lord, there's an answer. Praise the Lord, the scripture makes clear what that solution is that can capture our hearts. It's beholding the glory of the living God. It's beholding the glory of the living God. And so, it's, you know, praise God that there is that solution. King David says this about God in Psalms 63, 2 through 4. By the way, these little gals have down and some of the rest of you kids what the main passage is. That really is the main passage in case you're confused. I'm throwing a lot at you. Psalms 63, 2 through 4. I also saw that there's a place on their sheets to put down who's preaching. So they put down Matt, erased it, and now they try to spell my name. There's some interesting spellings of my name on their sheet. And uh, But let's read this main wonderful passage. It makes it clear that beholding the, the glory of God is what sets us free from false substitutes. Psalm 63, two through four. I have seen you. David's talking about God. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. So it's beholding the glory of the living God that can inspire us to worship him and enjoy him instead of substitutes. And when we do that, it transforms our character. We become more and more people of joy and courage and kindness which enables us to love others. All right, so let's break this down for a little bit. What does it mean to be- behold the glory of God? I like that phrase, break down, because I feel like you know that's a young person phrase and I like to use young person phrases, show I'm hip and stuff. You know, so let's break it down. What beholding the glo- I'm probably wrong. That's probably not a young person phrase, but it sounds like it to me. Let's break it down. What does it mean to behold the glory of God? Well, the glory of God refers to the greatness of God. Psalm 96, three and four says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. So the glory of God refers to the fact that he's so great He's the most important person in the universe, the most important being. And his glory, his greatness, refers includes all of his great attributes like his power, his love, and his mercy, and so on. And God's holiness, which we're not emphasizing as much today, his holiness refers to God's greatness as well, but it means he's so great that he's unique. No one is like him. That's worthy of a study in itself. Now, one thing that will help us understand God's glory a little bit more is if we think of him as the king, the king of the universe, which is what he is, Psalm 95.3, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. Well, we're a little bit of a disadvantage here in the U.S. because we don't really have a king. The closest thing to that is our president of the United States, isn't it? Let me tell you a story about how Ross met the president of, of the United States and how it relates to God's glory. 15 years ago, my son Ross played football for the Naval Academy. and that year, Navy beat Air Force and Army, which means they won what's called the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy. And when you win the Commander-in-Chief Trophy, you get to go to the White House and meet the President of the United States. At that point, the President was President Bush. So Ross and the Navy team went to the White House, they went around the back, the Rose Garden I guess is what it's called, and Bush gave a talk uh, congratulating Navy, he's talking and the crowd reporters are there, the whole Navy team is behind him, Ross is the very back row. When Bush is done, then Bush goes around the Navy team to go in the back door of the White House. Well, guess who was by the back door of the White House? My little boy Ross. <laughs> and, He's Linda's too. My little boy Ross was standing there by the back door. And as Bush started to go toward the back door, Ross opened the back door for the President of the United States. And he felt at that point just thrilled to be two foot away from the most important man in the world. But there's more. Bush didn't just go through the back door, he stopped. And he talked to my little boy Ross for two full minutes. Amazing, the most important man in the world took time to speak to Ross talking about where does he live and how's it going with the Naval Academy? And and Ross was just in awe that he would do that. Well, we have somebody in our life that's a lot more important than the President of the United States. It's Jesus, the King of the Universe. And Jesus, the King of the Universe, takes time each day to talk to us and let us talk to him. How cool is that! How amazing! How glorious is that and so we need to take the time uh, to do that talk with him and, and really he's he's offering his glory to us each day he's letting us get a glimpse of it and behold it and let's take advantage of that so that's what God's glory is about his great glorious attributes and kingship that show his importance so let's talk a little bit more about what it means to behold God's glory, because it's beholding His glory that will really transform us and will inspire us, first of all, to worship Him and praise Him. So it's behold His glory, be inspired to worship Him, be transformed. That's the sequence I want you to take away from this service. It's beholding the glory of God that really causes all the rest of that to happen, including transforming us. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, "...and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Beholding the glory of God, yeah, it means to focus on it, to uh, be amazed by it, to trust in it. And when we do that, we'll be transformed, cause us to worship and be transformed. Now, before I end this sermon, let's get practical for just a little bit. In what ways can we behold the glory of God each day? where can we see the greatness of God each day that can cause the rest of these amazing things in our life to happen well let me give you a short list I'll be brief and you can look for more in scripture one way to behold the glory of God each day is to read passages in the bible that talk about his glory and holiness take a concordance that um, lists every word in the Bible and uh, where those words are from. So concordance, online concordance, if you buy one, it's this thick, uh, get an online concordance um, and you can look up every word for glory or holiness. It'll transform your life in each, pa- in each passage. See what it means to, uh, regarding God's glory and holiness. Gatewaybible.com is one way to, place to find the concordance. Second way to behold God's glory each day is listen to music. Our worship team, Lenny and the team, do a great job of showing us the glory of God in their songs, and we can behold it as we sing. Third, look for God's glory in the greatness in in the lives of fellow believers. I see the glory of God in, in the people in this church. It's wonderful how I see his love in your lives. I see his power. I see his mercy, his forgiveness. Um, and it's a wonderful thing to behold. Fourth, we can behold God's glory when we suffer. See, suffering isn't some little side thing that is, oh, we're afraid when it happens and it's out of the norm. No, suffering is one of God's main plans for our life because it's during a time of suffering that God can especially show us his glory and power to help us through it. He displays his glory in our life. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says it like this but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You want to experience the glory of the living God? Then allow God to choose when it's best to allow us to suffer because it's in those times of suffering as we trust him that he'll show up We'll feel and experience His greatness and glory in our lives. And it'll be evident to others as well. And they'll be drawn to Him. Another way to behold God's glory is by doing a God hunt in our family devotional times. We could do it ourselves, but as a family too. A God hunt is where we sit down with our children and we say, so kids, in this last week, where have you seen God display His glory, His power and love in your life? Is there some point where you suddenly had somebody to encourage you, and we know all good things are from God, so that was God encouraging you, or is there some time in this last week that you've had a tough time, you were really discouraged, but as you prayed to God, he gave you a sense of strength and hope to help you be okay and carry on. Do a God hunt with your family. We began doing this with our kids when Ross was like six, Sarah was three. Um, It's a great thing to do. And then finally... Another way to behold God's glory each day is to look at the cross. Look at Jesus' attitude when he was suffering on the cross. How he trusted in the Father. How he loved and forgave those who had crucified him. The cross is the greatest demonstration of God's glory in the history of the world. So every day, let's remember the cross and behold it. And we need to do that constantly. Some ways to behold the glory of God every day? And we need to do that constantly. When a good thing happens that day, let's right away praise and thank God for it. When a bad thing happens that day, let's right away praise God that he's going to work it for the good in our life. He will use that hard time to display his glory and love and power in our life. Right away, let's praise God for hard things. And as we do that... It'll change us it'll transform our character let's do it continually scripture's clear on that first thessalonians 5 16 through 18 talks about that we need to rejoice in the lord always or thank him in all circumstances and as we do that our character will be transformed we'll be able to love god and others in greater ways let me now end with this story this is something very dramatic that happened to me several years ago Uh, It changed me, I've never gotten over it. God was gracious to show me His glory, His greatness in a very dramatic way. The year was 1996. Linda and I were living in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And at that point, Ross was nine, I believe. Sarah was six. So one day, I uh, went to pick them up at school. And as usual, I went around the back of the school and to wait for them there. And that's where the kids were released out the door And as I walked up to the back door about 100 feet away, I looked up and I saw something that horrified me. A giant Rottweiler had evidently gotten out of his yard and was sitting by the back door of the school. And the kids were ready to come out any second. Well, to make matters worse, when this Rottweiler looked up, he saw me and he started to run toward me, snarling and growling. And you kids, can you imagine if that happened to you? What, how would you respond? The first temptation would be to turn and run like the wind, right? But I knew I couldn't outrun him. God gave me the grace that day to suddenly remember his power and his glory. And when that Rottweiler was about 50 feet away, I yelled out at the top of my lungs, in the name of Jesus, stop! Guess what happened? That Rottweiler stopped. He looked at me with a kind of confused look. That was the Lord. And he started to walk toward me very quietly. And he sniffed my pant leg for a little bit. God helped me stay still. And then the Rottweiler walked away out of the area. And after he walked away out of the area, the school let out. And I praise God just like any of us would. I worshiped him for his greatness. God, thank you so much I was in such trouble. It could have chewed me up and a couple of those kids. But I praise you and worship you. You are the king. You have all power and glory. Thank you for showing me that today. God wants to show all of us his glory. Sometimes it might be in dramatic ways, but you know what? Most of the time it's going to be in smaller ways, and those smaller ways are still significant. And when God shows us his glory, even in a smaller way on a particular day, let's stop and make sure and worship and praise him for it, and it's going to transform our character. Let's behold the glory of the living God. Above all, let's make sure and behold the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God, Who gave his life for our sins. Let's behold the glory of the Lamb.